Hello world, my name is Christine Sorensen. This podcast series is dedicated to the origin stories of artists that come to our organization in progress. Here we are, we want to welcome everybody to the next in a series of origin stories within progress. And I'm very happy to have with me at the table today, Sai Tao. And Sai is a founder of In Progress. A lot of what In Progress is today came to be because of her contributions and questions and critiques and vision for how stories get told. Sai, would you like to introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about who you are today. Yes. Hi, everyone. I'm Sai Tao. I'm a mother and parent to four awesome children. I have five children, actually, but I lost one due to drowning five years ago. So I currently do have four living and breathing, and we are home and doing amazing stuff at home. Can you tell me a little bit about how you came to be a filmmaker? Absolutely. So my t-shirt says 1995, but that's not when I started in progress. I actually started in 1992 with um, Karen Sher Arts, who was working at the Walker Arts Center at that time, directing... Um, I believe it was Girls in the Director's Chair. That's right, Girls in the Director's Chair, and created my first video with her, and then fell in love. Well, you know what? I didn't quite fall in love with film until I met um, you through a project at um, the school that I was with. And um, after that, we came together to do a critical eye workshop over the summer. And I think that's when I really did fall in love with just filmmaking. You gave me a camera and said, here you go. And that's what I did. I went with it. And when I came back and came back with all these imagery and you said, oh, you know, this one is saying that and that one is saying this. And I was like, just not. (laughs) (laughs) No, I was like. What do you mean? You know, I didn't know that imagery can speak. And I think that's when it really started, just using video as a way to speak. I remember you showing up at my house at one point to do some video editing. And, you know, you came, you you in about 1999, I think you approached me and said, okay, Chris, how do I do what you do? It was actually much earlier, 1990. I think it was uh, at the end of um, Critical Eye. Critical Eye. It was that fall of 1997. And I said, well, you know, um, how do I do what you do? And you said, well, are you sure you want to do what it is that I do? These are, there are these other programming that are out there. And you had sent me off to uh, go check them out. And that's what I did. And after being in these other programming, I realized that, no, I don't want to be um, in corporate and I don't want to be um, in an institution. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to do what you do. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's, that is what birthed in progress, I believe. Um, you know, that along with some others. But basically, you were the first one that was willing and excited to go on the road and teach to visit other communities, to um, share your knowledge, 
with others and to support others in telling their own stories. Because I think that sometimes is hard for people to do. You know, I think I felt like it was really hard for me to do. Um, I think that was because I didn't have the language or the understanding of utilizing language um, to narrate um, my own story. And not only that, you know, what my story was, wasn't always my story. It was always somebody else's story that I was telling, right? And so um, once I started filmmaking and I understood that, oh, I can utilize this as a way to speak and I can utilize this um, and use it as a language, right? And if I can get other people to do that, you know, then we can begin talking to each other and seeing each other. And I think being with you, that allows the, uh, the definitely the opportunity. You know, fast forward now, you, you have 20-some years of doing this work from the perspective of teaching and from the perspective of a maker. What does it mean as an artist to tell your own stories these days? What does it mean, huh? You know, I think I'm still really questioning that. <laughs> what does it mean? You know, I, I'm not quite sure what it means, but I know that it definitely provides a much-needed perspective that I wouldn't have if I wasn't creating. I think for me, it's a, a powerful means to have language and to be able to utilize that to narrate my experiences with. Otherwise, what I'm doing is I'm relying on others and how they narrate you know, what my experiences are. And I found it very conflicting to live up to those narratives because oftentimes those narrative doesn't quite capture the experience. I have two boys with autism. For me as a parent, I understand this. So I work really hard to know my own narrative so that I can pave uh, a way for them to recognize and write their own narratives with the language that they have. I do this because I, I know that the language that my parents had, I utilized it and didn't work for me. I know that my language that I've come to have, you know, will work for me, but it's not going to work for my children. How do I understand so that, you know, I can provide opportunities for them, you know, at a young age to do this for themselves, not 30 years later? Because I felt like it was, for me, for 30 years later, I've come to this. While you're here, tell us about the Rain Watcher Project and how it has come to be and what you are hoping it will become. The Rain Watcher Project came out from the death of my daughter, Jia. Now, Jia's phone name is Njianna food, right? So Njianna means, or translated into the Hmong language, is watch or watching the rain. So she was our rain watcher. That's what she did. She watched for dark clouds. She watched for rains. And she was able to, to, to sort of help us navigate around um, those type of weather and get us through it. And when she died, it was just really, really hard, you know, especially in the way that she died. She drowned. She drowned when she was six years old, right? And for the longest time, I always thought water was life. 
And I um, do still think that water is life. But now I do know that water is life and death. That uh, water um, allows us to live and too much, we can die in it. With the Rainwatcher Project, we are uh, understanding our grief and utilizing grief as a way to build a relationship with water, to understand water, and to live with water. And when you say us, who is joining us in the Rainwater Watcher Project? The Rainwatcher Project is a family-based project where families come together to process understand their grief, and to share that with others. And, and with that, we are flowing through an, an understanding as well as how ecologically water flows and cleanses and takes on. Absolutely, right? I'm shaking my head as you're saying that, and it, that is very true. And, you know, I, I just go back to, yes, you know, you... In order to understand all of that, you know, you really have to understand where you stand and how that works, right? Right. And then one last question. Yep. For this new generation of filmmakers and storytellers and photographers, musicians that are coming in and through in progress, what advice would you like to provide or what do you feel they need to know? Ooh, that's a really tricky one. <laughs> Um, you're definitely not alone in this, that, uh, and you're not the first, right? That there are many others out there that are just really thrilled that you have chosen to, to create and that, um, and hoping that you will share. And I think sharing is the biggest piece. You know, I think oftentimes we get lost and we get alone, and we don't see what else is out there. And I think uh, if, if you're willing to share, that there are others out there willing to listen. Thank you very much. That was a beautiful interview for June 25th, 2022. And gosh, we've known each other for a long time. We have. Thank you, everyone, and stay tuned for the next show. Thank you, Chris. In progress, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. The F.R. Bigelow Foundation, the McKnight Foundation, the Metropolitan Regional Arts Council Flexible Support Fund, the Minnesota State Arts Board Creative Support Program. This activity is made possible by the voters of Minnesota through a grant from the Minnesota State Arts Board, thanks to a legislative appropriation from the Arts of Cultural Heritage Fund, National Endowment for the Arts National Cares Act Program, St. Paul and Minnesota Foundation. Thank you to all our sponsors and partners.